The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. The following program is closed captioned for the thinking impaired. By tomorrow, I will rule the world! I got nothing. Oh, no, I got it. I got it. When you were just talking to me, do you think that you could repeat the question? And I listen more attentively. There must have been something in all of that nothing that wasn't quite so easy to see. And I must have missed something when you were just talking. One more thing. I feel like Columbo. One more thing. You good? All right, let's get this show on the road. Hi, how you guys doing? My name's Tom Duggan here at the Paying Attention Podcast. Hi, atop Two Guys Smoke Shop at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. We got our... Fill-in producer, who was actually my original producer, Mr. Jonathan, is with us today. The OG. The OG. And I, by the way, I miss having you here. You should come in like, nothing against Christy. She does a great job. But once in a while, you should just come in and like hang out with us and chat about stuff. I always liked your libertarian perspective. I'm always happy to do it. All right. Um, We have a great show today. This is our fourth anniversary show. Our very first show, we had three police chiefs here talking about the opioid crisis in the Merrimack Valley, how police are handling it, how the local politicians are handling it, um, strategies that can be used to try and save some of these people's lives that overdose, uh, the use of Narcan, all that stuff. We're going to do that again today because uh, since we started this show before COVID and then COVID hit like a year later or two years later, I think, right? Um, And so things have changed dramatically because of the COVID numbers, uh, because of the COVID lockdowns. But from the numbers that I've looked at, and I've only looked at the Lawrence and the North Andover numbers because the Methuen numbers came in like four seconds before we went on the air. Um, That's a rookie move. Right. Uh, But he's new. We're going to let him. We're going to let him. We're going to let him. (laughs) I'm still reviewing. We're going to let him go. Um, But it looks like from what I've looked at is that, that the Merrimack Valley like with the crime numbers and the murder numbers and the violence numbers, completely bucking the national trend. You see murder numbers and violence numbers going up all over the country, all over the state, and the Merrimack Valley seems to be bucking that trend. It seems that as though, and as we dive into the numbers, we'll find out for sure, but it seems from a quick look at all of the numbers that we have today uh, that the Merrimack Valley is bucking the trend on the opioid numbers too. Before we start the show, I want to thank McLennan Real Estate Century 21 on Broadway in Methuen. They are a great sponsor, long-term sponsor of the show. We love Sam and Matt and Janet and everybody. If you're looking to, if you're looking to sell your house, now's the time to do it while the prices keep going up. Call, call McLennan Real Estate. AFC Urgent Care. Uh, we love uh, 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 Lisa Williams and her husband and Zucker and everybody over there. Marsan and Son Constructions, EIS Investigation and Gun Training, Borelli's Deli, where I'm going to get my special hot sausages that he makes for me now once a week. I'm going to say I want the special hot sausages. It's already packaged and waiting for me. Uh, Tomo and Happy Crab, we were Tomo last night or the night before. Um, 
phenomenal food. Happy Crab across the street, great seafood. Uh, Clear Path for Veterans New England, and a free shout-out to Sullivan Insurance, who's been my insurance agent for at least like 30 years. Uh, to my left, to your right, we have Lawrence Police Chief Roy Vask. And I, I always make the mistake on the show when I'm referring to you as the new chief. But you've been here now for like what, like five or six years, right? Just finished up the fourth year. Fourth year. Also, like right around the time that we started the podcast. Yeah, really. And Scott McNamara, who I was very upset when I heard that he got the job in Methuen because we were working so well together on the memorial that you guys wanted to build sure. outside the new police station in Lawrence. And you were in charge of that. And I said, well, I got a friend in charge of that. I know he's going to do something that's going to really honor the officers, not just my dad, but other officers that have, that have died for Lawrence. And then in the middle of all that, you got the job in Methuen. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, great. Now, now what do I do? Well, you still have a friend over there. Well, well I, I do, but you were like in charge of that project. And yeah. I wanted to be friendly with the person in charge of that project so like my family could have like, some good input. Chief sure. McNamara, can you just roll that mic a little closer to your mouth for me? Push it. Yeah, you're pull it like, toward, you. There, toward you, you. there you go. Um, so uh, uh, Methuen Police Chief Scott McNamara, you've only been on the job now about a month and a half, maybe? Might I get that right? Uh, October 4th. Okay, so. so I was pretty close. I'm up on three. Um, probably seems like a lifetime already. It probably does, right? <laughs> Busy 90 it days. probably does. And I bet it's a lot different going from being a captain who's like running a lot of things because the captains really run a lot of stuff to being the guy at the top delegating all of that stuff. Yeah, You're sure a hands-on is. guy, so to be delegating stuff must be tough for you. Yeah, that, that's really what the job's all about. Yeah. Is, um, and, but it's, I tell you, it's a lot tougher when you, when you come into a new organization because you, you have to do that evaluation period and determine who, who can you confidently delegate tasks to. But I will say in the short time I've been there, I, I realize that I just have a wonderful staff, people that do great things there. Yeah, most of the people at the, at the Methuen Police Department are wonderful people. Yeah. And they're great cops. Even the ones that like we don't get along, they're still great cops. I see them out there on the street, and I see them doing some pretty heroic things. Sure. Um, so I would ask you if it's what you thought it would be, but you're still kind of getting your feet wet. Um, but uh, Chief Vask, you've, you've been now been the chief for four years. Is it what you thought it was going to be when you applied for chief? Is this, or, or, or did you get in there and go, wow, this is totally different than I thought? Well, it's definitely a totally different job. Um, you know, like you were talking about delegation. And I would say that I had a lot of those conversations with now Chief McNamara about him taking over Methuen and trying to probably do some of the things that I didn't do well here, which was uh, delegate. I was a hands-on person in the job that I was doing at the PD before being the chief. And for me, it was, I want to be all in on everything and to try to do all the things that you know required as a chief, it really you know took its toll on mm -hmm. me. So I kind of talked to him about that. But to his point, he has a different perspective moving into a place where he has to find those people right. that he can delegate to. Thankfully for me, I had him and some other, you know, some other people that I can rely on and still rely on to do those things. No, but it's a learning curve. For yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. What's it like? You two guys worked together in Lawrence, and now you're working kind of together as chiefs of two different communities. What's that like? That's got us. That's got to change the relationship a little bit, right? No, it's in my from my perspective. I won't speak for the for the chief, but. Um, it's great. Something that I can pick up the phone with. Uh, and I had that relationship with Joe as well. Joe is for all things over there, whatever. But Joe was a, a guy that had a lot of history, a lot of experience that I you know, would call and rely on uh, for, and ask questions about different things. And our relationship is a whole lot different because we worked very closely together. And to your point about the new station project, him and I were on those calls four times a week on the, on the project, you know, trying to get that thing, you know, and uh, the pressures that go with that. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to try to build a you know, state-of-the-art jewel of the Commonwealth, I say, you know, $59 million police station. But with it comes a lot of responsibilities and a lot of stress, and I'm sure you know, he, can, he can say the same. So, um, but there's that, you know, 
that bond and that closeness. And he's certainly one of those guys that I trusted that I could talk to about things that you just can't talk to about mm-hmm. anybody else. So for me, it was, it was easy having him there. And of course, now he's kind of screwed me leaving. Right, right. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, so uh, you no, had to fill a captain's right. seat, right? When he left, you had to, you yeah. had to fill a captain. So who filled his seat? So we now have uh, three captains, um, uh, Captain Maurice Aguilar and um, Fabian, a good guy. Uh, Fabian Guerrero and uh, Mike Mangan, who are all yeah. very intelligent, very capable uh, individuals for sure. And they all have their, you know, their strengths and stuff. So that you just kind of have to put those pieces in. And Lieutenant Mangan, to your point, now Captain Mangan has taken over where Captain McNamara, now Chief McNamara, left in the staging project working on that with me. So good. again, very intelligent, uh, former military person like that so i, I remember when he got the exchange things. club police officer of the year i think like maybe six seven years ago maybe around that time yeah, and, right. pe- and people were looking at him then going he's going to be a good official he's going to work his way up yeah, very capable very intelligent individual so i know that he'll do a great job in, in max absence for sure yeah so when we talk about the the opioid crisis it's hard to talk about the opioid crisis without talking about the homelessness issue mm-hmm. and um, we've noticed that with, throughout the Valley, there's been different strategies on how to deal with the, uh, the homeless addicts. There's a lot of addicts who aren't homeless. They, they, they have, you know, they have homes, they have jobs, they're functioning, but they're still addicted. Uh, but it's the homeless addicts that seem to cause a lot of the quality of life issues, uh, in the Valley, especially if you, if you study what's been going on in Lowell, I've been really looking at that, uh, pretty closely. And they seem to have problems that Lawrence, Methuen, North Andover don't seem to be having. So I'd like to talk about that a little bit. The strategies each community is using when dealing with the homeless addicts. I would say for Methuen, we're fortunate that it's not, in terms of visible home, homelessness, it's, it's not a real pervasive problem in our city, thankfully. Um, but where we, where we do encounter it, we, um, you know, we send our staff out um, of course, we have uh, two employees, two civilian employees that are, are part of our CARES program, and those two ladies do j- absolutely wonderful things. And they are Cole Welch and J- uh, Jacqueline, Jackie, Jackie. Yeah. Um, but they do amazing things, and I mean, you know, their primary purpose is to deal with the um, the, the uh, addiction issues and intervention in that regard. But th- these things are often intertwined: um, homelessness, uh, mental health. Um, so something we hope to build on, but but th- those two have become particularly skilled in terms of uh, making referrals, at least in in, in those cases where the where they it's not their primary purpose. They still intervene on our behalf. Mm-hmm. They um, you know, they find the, the local stakeholders and, and they make those referrals, and they've they've made a real difference in, in Methuen over the time that they've been here. You do have a couple of encampments in Methuen, uh, homeless encampments. Uh, yeah. I know TMF goes and feeds the people behind the uh, rail trail, rail trail, yeah, where where they are. And that seems to be a population that changes. Most of the most of the tent cities we go to, it's kind of the same people every week. Sure. But but your homeless encampments seem to change a lot. I know state police go in and they kind of look for people with warrants and stuff once in a while. Um, how difficult is it knowing you've got in a city like Methuen that isn't thought of that way to have these kind of homeless encampments? And how do you guys deal with the with the residual criminal effects? Well, I mean that's the problem. Obviously, it you know we we want to support. A homeless population, but we also we just want to get them into a better living environment. Frankly, mm-hmm. and you know there are public health issues that 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 come into play if we if we leave it unaddressed. And certainly, you don't want to uh, be perceived as being oppressive towards that population. Mm-hmm. Um, more more so supportive, and that's what we try to do. We we try to reach out to them, you know, find them alternative living arrangements. Often it's temporary shelters and that sort of thing, but ideally they transition into more stable mm-hmm. uh, living environments over time. But um, that's the issue. I mean, no, nobody wants that in their backyard, right? right. I mean, but they're they're worried that you know 
their car will get broken into. And, and it's not always that case, of course. You know, right. a homeless population often is just simply homeless. Right. Homeless uh, and um, doesn't mean that they're, they're, they're um, um, involved in low-level criminal activity. But there is but a, a concern. There, right, but there is a large number of people who are homeless in both Lawrence and Methuen yeah. who are addicted, so they are committing crimes. They're stealing things to, to sell to get drugs. Sure. Um, I know when uh, Mayor Perry... Uh, decided to uh, open the hotel on Riverside Drive, which, by the way, I thought was a courageous. Uh, him and Mike Samad got together, and they, they were, it was a great thing that they did. But then the neighbors started noticing people trying to break into their cars or looking into their windows, and it did have a, a negative residual effect, even though the intent was positive. Mm-hmm. Um, would it be more helpful for you guys if your local councils, mayors, whatever, um, we're more dedicated to trying to find transitional housing for these people because a lot of times you get them off the street, put them into a shelter, they go into rehab, sign themselves out three days later, and then we're doing it all over again. Yeah, that is the the problem. But money is the you know the root of all evil, so to speak. But money is the main factor here. A lot of money needs to be put into education, treatment, recovery. You know, when these individuals are arrested, as a you know as an example on 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 you know possession or whether they're doing crimes, you know, part of that should be a mandatory three, you know, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days in a rehab facility that costs money and things like that. But we're just, to your point, when you said that they're back out there, they signed themselves out, we're just kind of pushing it down the curb. We're trying to push them through and they're pushing the Lawrence. I mean, it's just a never ending cycle, but in order to really make a, a big difference, big money has to be invested in, in, you know, recovery and treatment and getting these people to break the cycle. You know what I mean? Are they just going to continuing, to go down that path. Has Sheriff Carpenter, uh, he, when he was here, seemed very dedicated to increasing the number of beds and stuff like that that they had available. Um, has has the Sheriff's Department made it easier for you guys to do that, or are they just kind of focusing on the people that come to them? Well, I think a lot of what the, the Sheriff has been hit hard with COVID, COVID-related issues, um, m- mostly from his officers. Obviously, his inmates are not going anywhere, mm-hmm. but so his officers are bringing COVID into the into the facility, and they just had a, a um, deputy sheriff that passed away, uh, a gentleman in his 30s, um, unfortunately. Heartbreaking. Yeah, so you know he's been dealing with that, so a lot of times the sheriff will take our um, individuals over the weekend and things like that and house them uh, for us temporarily, bring them to court, things like that. He's been fantastic, but... Sometimes that whole dynamic gets shut down because of COVID and you can't bring more people in, you know, because they're dealing with, you know, COVID spread or a COVID right. outbreak. So COVID has changed a lot of what the sheriff's been able to do for us, but certainly a great partner for us. Chief, um, Methuen is not thought of as a big overdose community, right? It's, it's really kind of thought of as a town, even though it's a city, it's the, the town known as the city of, or the city known as the town of. Yep. Um, what do your numbers look like as far as, um, Calls for overdoses and and deaths. What what do, what do those numbers look like? So where we are in comparison to last year, um, it, this this question was asked um, just a couple months ago, and we were tra- really trailing the national numbers. The national numbers are roughly up twenty eight and a half percent this year in terms of overall overdoses, but with the one more or less stable. Uh, twenty twenty, we had fifty overdoses, and um, this year we're just at fifty three, so about a six percent increase. Can you give me those two numbers again? 50 overdoses in 2020 yeah, and 53, 53. in 2021. Okay. And right. We have a couple of days left in the year, of course. Right. So it's, that stayed pretty steady. Yeah. And those are just overdose calls or are those the deaths? No, those, those, are, um, those are calls for overdoses. Calls. And we've had um, one, two, three. Because at some point oh, while 11. you're counting, at some point what I'm going to do is I'm going to start matching up the, op- the opioid deaths 
in the valley with the COVID deaths and see which one is more of a yeah. threat to our society. Because I, I kind of suspect, even though I haven't looked at those numbers and compared them yet, that the overdose numbers are going to be bigger than the COVID numbers. Mm. No? Certainly not in cases, but in deaths. Good question. I think I, I think even the deaths are more for COVID right now than, at least for us, than, than overdose deaths, believe it or not. Well, good. I'll have to take a look at that as well. But yeah, I mean, it's tragic that we've lost 11 people. Mm-hmm. But um, it certainly be that number would certainly be a lot higher if not for the outreach efforts that take place nowadays and compared to you know several years ago. Right. What, what do your numbers in Lawrence look like? I, I, whenever I tell people crime is done in Lawrence, nobody wants to hear it, right? Because everybody has their preconceived notions of what Lawrence is supposed True. to be. And then I say, listen, I and I know because I'm out there that the, the, the violent crime is down. So I'm sure there's a couple of categories that might be up, but overall, crime is down. I think uh, violent crime is down. Murder is down. What about the opioid numbers, the opioid deaths in our camps? So to your point, crime is down again consistently, double digits for the fourth year in a row. This is actually our best year when you take COVID out of the picture, 2020, because everybody knows COVID shut everything down. Mm-hmm. Nobody was doing anything. Nobody was driving. Nobody was really interacting with anyone. So that's kind of a blip. Uh, so that's our best year, obviously, 2020. But take that out of the equation, 2021 is actually our best year. And before what? that, it was 19. Before that, it was 18. So we're in a good four-year stretch now where crime is... Um, you know, has been uh, down significantly, 20-year lows. So um, our overdose deaths are... You can pull the, that up if you want. Sure, Jonathan. You know, to the captain's point, are, are, are trending sort of in the same way, to the chief's point, sorry. Um, right. Kind of trending... I, in the, I in sign the, everything, Captain, by the way. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. So kind of the same. Um, you know, it, you know, it's funny, you know, not funny, but I saw the, the same national trends where 2020, because of COVID, really spiked the numbers because everybody's home, people are losing jobs, right. stress level, all of that stuff. We haven't seen that. 2020 was actually a better year than, than 18 and 19 for us, and now 21 is actually a better year than... 2020, you know, even in the fatal department, we've you know, you know, we've had 19, unfortunately, but it's down from 29 and 2020, 33 and 19, 26 and 18, and uh, overall, the uh, the statistics are, are pretty close. We're down a little bit, and our Narcan use is right on uh, where it kind of is uh, every year in the hundred, like 107, 115, 112 range. So, so in the last four years, Methuen's lost about 103. Lawrence has lost 1,042, so that's really, uh, it's about 1,100 people have, have died in the last five years from, from opioids, which, I mean, that's 1,000 people. That's a uh, lot. That's a lot. 1,000 or, or well, Do I have? Well, so 26, I, oh, I 33, 29, and 19 is what? I just, 20, I, I just 30, had it up and I lost it. It's about 100 people for us in the last four years. Do you look, talk about the COVID numbers, Tom? Yeah. Oh, COVID. No, 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 the, uh, the OD numbers. So we've had 26, 33, 29, and 19 in the last four years. What was I looking so here? Whatever your math oh, is on that one. It's about 100-something. Fatal. Okay, 107. So 107, yeah. 53, so that's 100 and – I wasn't get the total number of calls by accident. Yeah. Uh, so 100 and, so that's about 160 people that mm-hmm. we've lost in the Merrimack Valley because of opioids. And that's down, right? Because it, it was a lot higher yeah. previously. So what are the strategies you guys using – to get those numbers down, that doesn't just happen by accident. That's not just something that, like, you know, it just happens on its own, right? So, yeah. you know, I know the, the chief talked about the CARES program and things like that. I think every community is doing some version of that outreach and follow-up to try to get people out of that uh, cycle, and we're doing the same, following up on every overdose, finding out, uh, you know, how we can give this person treatment, um, get them resources, get in contact with their family, which is sometimes the biggest um, thing that we have going for us, try to get them involved to help us. Does that actually help? Because it seems it like when we recommend that people on the street 
call home, talk to their family members, they get violent with us. <laughs> I'm sure, listen, there's a dynamic there where they've probably have tried that and it's, you know, eventually you try, you try, you try, and then they throw them out or whatever they do. So I'm sure there's some of that. But you need, you know, you need, a, a, you know, resources behind you. You need a, a family behind you if you can to, you know, to be advocating for you, helping you, talking to you, being with you, and sometimes being with you more than anything um, can help. But you and I talked before, too, as well, that these numbers are a little skewed and that Nakian has really saved, you know, a lot of people's lives. I think we would lose a lot more people. And um, also, the overall amount of uh, ODs that are being reported is not accurate, totally accurate here either because of Nakian. I think I gave you the example where some individuals could be, you know, in their house shooting up, somebody ODs, buddy gives them Nakian, they don't report that case they don't go to the hospital, receive treatment. A lot of times, unfortunately, they keep on doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, we don't get that statistic. So there's probably a number of those that have gone on in every community that we're not um, accounting for in the opioid overall numbers. So NACAN is prevalent everywhere. We have it, fire department, ambulance, obviously the hospitals, but individuals now have it. It's right. given up pretty, you know, pretty easily, So, which is a great thing, right? We're saving lives. But we're certainly losing some of the numbers in that those OD cases where someone of a friend or, or whatever gives someone knock in, saves a person, brings them back, doesn't get reported. So right. There's also a negative. Um, there's always positive and negative in anything, right? There's also a negative with the Narcan where before Narcan, people might have been afraid to shoot up too much or shoot yeah. up something that's too strong. Sure. And now with it, they know that they could die, but they hand, you know, they've got it in their pocket. I've, we've actually come across Absolutely. people Safety nut, right? passed yep. out on the street that have a, 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 a yep. little note on their pockets that says Narcan. Yep. And you know, we wake them up. They weren't even they weren't overdosed, and they were just sleeping. But we're looking at them going, like, I don't want to have to Narcan this guy. Yeah, no, we've, uh, <laughs> you know? we've, had, we've had those crazy type of conversations with, with individuals where an individual will take what they consider um, a high dose or a, a potentially fatal uh, type of mixture where they've heard that someone – Passed, uh, died from something like that. Believe it or not, people gravitate towards that. They want that. They want that high. But they'll have that safety net where they have a person. Hey, watch me, type of thing. Mm-hmm. So you're absolutely 100 percent right. People are taking, you know, more serious, chances, serious risks because they think that there is a safety net there. Right. Sometimes, but not always. So it's a, it's a, certainly a huge risk. Yeah. So we, we try to attack it on, on a number of levels. Obviously, um, the first part for us is again our cares program, and the, the idea is when we have an overdose. Um, we want to we want to connect with that person directly if we can, it, and the next best thing is the family, and ideally we want to do that within 24 to 48 hours. So 100% of the time we're making that effort. We're not always successful, but with 60% of the time we we actually make that connection, mm-hmm. and and then from there it's then we then we track how many uh, take advantage of the referrals we put in place, how many of them are already uh, getting treatment. And then, of course, there's unfortunately a percentage of them that still just don't want help. Right. But we try to do it all the time, uh, every time. And um, there's a lot of other things going on in the, in the, in the, in the background. For example, our, um, we all work, of course, as part of the Merrimack Valley in general. There's these monthly uh, hub meetings where stakeholders from around the Merrimack Valley, we all get together. We've been doing it by Zoom for several months at this point. But um, Lawrence PD, Methuen PD, Lawrence General Hospital, Holy Family, Vinfin, Elliott Hospital, uh, the, the Lawrence Court System, DCF, everyone kind of you know gets in a virtual room and talks about our at-risk population and li- literally go case by case and say, 
who can help me with this case? Who's, who's best situated, who's best suited to provide the services that are needed to, to intervene in this situation? So those, those meetings are happening every month. Um, one of the other, other great things that, that I, th I think we're doing as a region is we're taking advantage of that software system. Uh, the acronym is escaping me. It's a, actually, it's a C, the, the SIM system, Certified Information Management Systems. So what, obviously, we know, the, we know the overdoses that are happening in our own community. We're there. We, we're there for it. We see it. But often, it's the case that a Methuen resident, for example, overdoses in Lawrence or vice versa. So what we do now is uh, every overdose, we enter it into this database, and our partners in law enforcement, whether they're in Lawrence right over the border or halfway across the state, they're going to they're gonna be part of that. They're going to see it. So, for example, if um, Lawrence has that overdose, we're going to read it in our, our software. We're going we're gonna to go to that Methuen address tomorrow and try to make that intervention. So when somebody overdoses, you guys will go and reach out directly to them and their family? You'll go knock on their door and say, hey, oh, yeah. we need to have a conversation? We'll, go, we'll send our staff right to the hospital. Oh, that's great. Yeah, we try to. Yeah, right to the hospital. And I think yeah. that's a that's a um, part of what's changed um, from the past. Yeah, but the past it was honestly we showed up at calls. We were so busy, we showed up at calls. We did our thing, threw them in the in the ambulance, and went on our way. And we didn't do any follow up. Now we all recognize we have to do more, or we're just going to be chasing our tail. We're going to be over and over and over again, like we were talking about earlier. If we don't break the cycle somehow or try to and get other partners involved, like the, the chief was talking about, we can't do it alone because we're so busy. I know I can speak for Lawrence. Uh, with 70,000 calls a year for service, you know, we need other people to help us. But in order to, to have a, any sort of impact and hopefully break the cycle, you know, we need to be more involved than just answering the call, throwing them in the ambulance and going on our way. Mm -hmm. That doesn't work anymore. You had, um, and I don't know if the new mayor has, has continued this, but you had under Dan Rivera, you had a homeless coordinator working out of the mayor's office. Was that helpful or was that just kind of a, a side thing that was going on? Like, did that actually help you guys in dealing with this or was that really just something political? I, I think it, you know, I think it, every, every person looking at the problem, so to speak, um, helps, right? I think, it, I think we need to expand it. I think it's a bigger problem than people just, you know, want to realize or, uh, again, it's, you know, it's money. We need to throw resources at it. I think a lot more people need to get a lot more involved in, you know, in the, you know, in the issue to, to have more of an impact. One person alone isn't going to do it. So mm. was it helpful? Yes. Could it be improved upon? For sure. And I think it needs to be expanded. You know, and I know that we're trying to do that with mental health. We were awarded two grants of almost $800,000 in total to try to get more mental health and a lot of it with the homelessness as you were talking about. So a lot more needs to be done, but a lot more people need to get involved than just the police. You know, right. and I, you know, the chief just talked about an example of where a lot of people are involved. Thankfully, they are helping us. Um, but that really needs to be, you know, a national sort of, you know, thing. Is there a value in <clears throat> the decriminalization of the drugs themselves so that the police don't have to get involved on the arrest side and then free up that money so that we can get more aggressive with the treatment? Because there's only, there's a finite amount of money. Yeah. In, in my opinion, that, that, that's the, the way we had to handle this. I mean, th this is a situation we certainly can't arrest our way out of. I think we've learned that over time. That this is, you know, essentially a national crisis, and it and it has to be addressed from a almost from a healthcare perspective. Mm -hmm. So I'm pleased that we've made the moves in that regard over the last decade or so. How do we motivate our local city councils, mayors, elected officials, state reps to dedicate more money to a treatment, but b I think more importantly, getting them out of that environment off the street and into some kind of transitional housing. 
Well, I think you know. I, I think they are changing. Times are changing, if you will. And I think you've seen that in different, a lot of different, um, you know, issues in 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 America, so to speak. But so I think their eyes are opening, and I think they want to get more involved. I know in our counselors and talking to them, they want to see more done. And then for you know, it starts with the police, and then from there we have to educate them that we can't just you know be the only ones doing it. So I think there is. I think there is a desire to do more, but again, I think the funding starts before the city council. It starts at you know the top. It's a national thing. The president and all those people need to dedicate more funding down to the states and the states down to the municipalities to do more. Like I was telling you, you know, we've applied for grants, so those grants are going to allow us to do more. So a lot of that more needs to happen, but more is money, right? So people and those and those grants aren't infinite either. It's it's usually a three-year grant, two-year grant, whatever. And then once that grant is gone, the municipality has to pick up, if they want to continue, they have to pick up the expense for that. Correct. Yeah. So I could tell you here in in Methuen, I'm I'm pleased that our our city council has really kind of taken the lead on this. They they have their own subcommittee. Mm -hmm. They meet once a month just to talk about the issues of substance abuse, mental health, and homelessness. Um, uh, Councilor Finacaro chairs that meeting each month. And Councillor uh, Samard and DJ Beauregard, they're, mm-hmm. they're both on that. And, and again, it's, it's another group of similar stakeholders that, that are all in that virtual environment and, and talking about some of the pervasive problems and, and what the best way to address them is and, and move it, forward. It has always infuriated me that Lawrence gets stuck with all the problems, right? For as much as I hear from people that how much I, I, I dump on Lawrence, I've, I've long said that Lawrence wouldn't have half the problems they have if North Andover, Andover, Methuen, and Dracut had their own homeless shelters, had their own methadone clinics, had their own. And whenever the state wants to do a methadone clinic or a free needle program or whatever, it always is, let's stick it in Lawrence. And then the people who are addicted from Methuen, Dracut, Andover, North Andover, they go to Lawrence. In New Hampshire. In New Hampshire. And they come to Lawrence. And, of course, once they're in Lawrence, that's where the drugs are. Right. right? No, right. And, then, and then that it just perpetuates the cycle. But when, when, when we deal with, uh, with the TMF family dinner for the homeless on Wednesday nights, two-thirds at least of the people who are coming who are homeless on the streets of Lawrence aren't from Lawrence. They're from all, not only all over the Merrimack Valley. We've got a guy there from Chicago. We've got a guy there from New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it seems like if the different communities around Lawrence had transitional housing, had a methadone clinic for their citizens, had a homeless shelter for the, or maybe a homeless center, like every community has a senior center. Sure. Most communities have a youth center, but almost no communities have a homeless center. And that really seems to be one of the biggest problems each community is facing. And that's, you know, I, I, I guess my question to you guys is, if, if it's even a question, is... Would it make your job easier if the politicians were focused more in that direction and helping well, your own citizens? Because then your Methuen citizens are getting help in Methuen and they're not yeah. causing more problems in Lawrence. Well, well what I'd say in, in that regard is all the years I worked in Lawrence, I recognized that very thing, that every every social program seemed to be hosted um, in that city. And you name you name the issue, it, it, it was there. And I guess what what what... I always advocated for in talking to politicians is when it comes to like local funding, they, there's a formula in place and has a lot of uh, factors in it, but I thought it should probably have a lot more of those socioeconomic factors in terms of host communities. If you're a host community for this, that, and the other thing, perhaps there's more money coming your way in, 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 in terms of state funding. Um, you're, you're always back to that, that argument of not in my backyard. Right. Some of the more afflu- affluent communities, um, you know, they, they pay attention, they come to meetings, they're, 
they, they, they know what's planned. Yeah, they, they know what's that fo they vote. They advocate. They get in touch with their politicians, and um, and they kind of push back. Um, you know where, where they think it's appropriate, and it results in you know other communities kind of um, being the host community for all of those things. So, um, I will say I'm grateful for all that Lawrence does in terms of um, you know hosting all all those things and, and partnering with us. And and um, I've I've always had a good relationship with all those organizations, but it certainly is, is, has continued as I've moved over to Methuen. So, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Wherever the services are, right, people are going to come, whether it's a business or whether it's uh, social services. They're going to come. They're going to stay wherever the, the services are. So, you know, we're, um can't say, you know, happy to, to do it isn't really what I'm, I'm after, but we do it. I think that we recognize that um, there is a need from wherever they're at. Um, and we're gonna, you know, we're gonna come together as a community. We're gonna handle it. We always have. That's what Lawrence has done, and I think we're gonna continue to do that. Do I think other communities need to do more? I do. I think there's something to be said for feeling good about giving back in some of these other communities. Drop whether it's dropping off their food, their clothing, or whatever, but then going back to their community. Right. So there's a little rub there, and um, you know, so I would like to see other communities do a little bit more. And um, in that regard, but we certainly recognize that we're getting funding as a result. There's a trade-off, but I, I do think that if you really want to do good, I think you could do a little bit more than than what you're doing, and just not, you know, making yourself feel good. So you can talk, you know, to your to your pals at a you know cocktail party, saying that you you know you mm -hmm. did something good. I think I think that little I think that dynamic needs to spread a little bit more, and I think it's a good point in your your part. I try every time we talk about the opioid crisis or homelessness on the show. I always try to push Drake at Methuen, Andover, North Andover need to be doing more. They need to have a homeless shelter mm -hmm. because I I think of it as from a consumer's perspective. If I live in North Andover and I've got a half a million dollar home and I've got a wife and three kids and all of a sudden my life falls apart and I end up homeless for whatever reason, the wife throws me out, I end up addicted, whatever. There's no place in North Andover for me to go. Like, there's no place to go get a sandwich. There's no place to go stay for the night because I'm homeless. Right. I got. Where am I going to go? I've got no choice. I have to go to Lawrence. Like, right. there's. I mean, unless I'm just going to sleep on the streets, you know, under the radar in North Andover somewhere, and maybe break into somebody's house to get food. Otherwise, there's literally no place to go. So, so I think that's why in our strategy, and the, and, the, and the chief talked about it, is when we identify through that reporting system where these individuals are from, they might have OD'd in Lawrence, but they have a Haverhill address, a Pelham, New Hampshire address. We get in touch with them to try to get them to help us mm -hmm. help them so that we can remove them from Lawrence, get them services, get them back in touch with their family, hopefully, and, and get them get them out. So we're not turning our back to anyone, whether they're a Lawrence resident or not. Um, we're dealing with it, and we will continue to deal with it. But you know, I think um, other places could certainly step up a little bit more, for sure. Yeah. I have a friend who comes into Lawrence once a week to help us with TMF. He's from New Hampshire. And the first night that he was looking for the lot, he kind of circled the block a couple of times so he couldn't find it. And he got pulled over twice by Lawrence police because he had a, he had a New Hampshire plate and he kept circling the block. And they're like, uh, we just want to make sure, like, you know, what's going on here? Uh, I guess my question is, how big of a problem is it having people come down from New Hampshire to either buy or to stock up and bring to New Hampshire to sell? Well, I would say the chief's the expert on this, but I can speak to it, of course. Um, it's, a, it's a huge problem. I mean, and it's driven by price, essentially. It's mm -hmm. a lot cheaper here in the Merrimack Valley than it is in Maine and New Hampshire. So they, they'll drive here, stock up, drive back, and you know either use it or sell it at, at, a, at a markup. So um, fortunate for us, we certainly don't, prof we don't, we don't uh, profile, but we, we, we profile based on be behaviors. And um, you know that, that, that main plate that's circling in the neighborhood, right. typically for no good reason, right? right? 
So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a yeah. If you're from Maine and you're driving around the Arlington neighborhood and yeah. you're circling the block, you're usually up to yeah. no good. They generally have one of the the same, you know, two three excuses. I'm looking for a friend. I can't name the friend. Right. Um, isn't isn't this a free country? I can drive wherever I want. That sort of thing. But um, typically, at least for us, they stick out like a sore thumb. So again, we get back to the. This is a national problem. This isn't a Lawrence problem, right? Right. If people weren't addicted, if people couldn't. If people could get out of the cycle, they wouldn't be going to find drugs wherever they are. And oh, by the way, they don't just come to Lawrence to do them. They, Manchester, New Hampshire, mm-hmm. Lowell, you know, Cambridge. You can see what's going on down in Boston with Methadone Mile and all of those things. So it's it's not just a Lawrence problem. It's a it's a national problem. But again, like if nobody was looking for the product, then they you know we wouldn't have the issue of them coming here right. or somewhere else. So eliminate that, and you you know, eliminate the problem you know from wherever community they're going to. I, I just want to um, quote, quote something that Chief asked for me years ago to give you an idea of how pervasive the problem was. At the time, the chief was in char- charge of a, a, a narcotics unit in Lawrence. I believe there was like six or seven narcotics officers. And in that one year, those six or seven narcotics officers made 1,300 drug-related arrests, wow. narcotic-related arrests. That's, wow. that's off the charts. How does, how does the court handle that, though? I mean, because well, you guys make the arrests, well, well, let right? Me, let, me, let me finish. The oh, sorry. Go ahead. Because it, 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 it's... There's more to it. So when I, and I said to him, I, I said, wow, 1,300 arrests. And he said, yeah, but I'll tell you this. If I had five or six teams just like this, and I put them in all the different you know, six areas of the city, the sectors, each one of them would have made 1,300 arrests, wow. each, each one of those units. So that's how pervasive the problem is. And that's why I say that you know we've recognized that there's just no way to arrest your way out exactly. of this. It's impossible. That's what I say. I mean, he's hit the nail on the head. If we had more people doing it, we'd do it every day. When we used to do some of those things, you might have might have been familiar with those 50 people in one day. It was not a... You know, it was just a matter of manpower, but we could do that all day, every day. We're not doing anything for the problem. We're not helping anyone. We're arresting them, throwing them in there, and moving on, right? Mm-hmm. So we've recognized we can't do that. You know, arrest your way out of the problem is, is a, yeah. you know, a phrase everybody uses, yeah. but it, it's 100% right because if we don't get to the bottom line of the, of the issue and getting people help, edu- first education, then help recovery, it's money. Right. If we don't do that, we're just going to go on and on. We'll be talking yeah. about this next year and the year after and the year after and the year after. Yeah. But I, but I, I do want to say that enforcement is part of it, right? Well, I true. mean, there's three prongs. It's, you know, enforcement, uh, treatment, and education. Uh, but, you know, if you're Does the, the education really work? I don't mean to interrupt you, but I, as, a, as a former politician, I've seen all this money thrown at for education for this, anti-bullying, but none of it seems to ever work. There's never any metric that you can point to and say, okay, that money was well spent. Sometimes. Oh, go ahead, Chief. Go ahead. He's one. I'm some, I'm, I, we've looked at some of those studies in the past that, you know, the DARE programs, it's, some of the studies suggest that they were not effective, others suggest that they were. I think people at least need the information so they can make an informed decision in their own life. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the treatment is, the, there's been a huge movement t- towards treatment, of course, but uh, again, on the enforcement side, we, we still have to deal with these quality of life issues. No, nobody wants to see that, you know, these transactions. I mean, we're, what we're seeing in these residential neighborhoods in, in Lawrence, in Methuen, um, you know, I get calls from my, my parents who still live in, in, in Lawrence, and they're, you know, two cars meet every day. There's, an, you know, there's a quick exchange, and off they go. Right. We, we all know what's happening, and, um, it, and it's a big problem. It's a quality of life issue. It scares people. And, you know, it's, it's incumbent on the police to intervene when, when, when we can, when we see that happening. So I would just go back to that, that other thing about education. I think you need all of those things, education money, recovery money, treatment money, enforcement money, all of those things. Will, is it, does it work? If you saved one person, is it worth it? I mean, you know, if you save 100 people, I don't know. I mean, so if you say, and go back to the bullying thing, 
does it maybe make a couple of kids think about, you know, not bullying someone? And if they don't, isn't that a win? You know, so there's wins and losses. Does the money equate, you right. know, to the worth? I'm always looking at cause you know, and effect. Yeah. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. But at the end of the day, if we save, same thing with Nakian, if we save one person, is it now worth it, that life? Yeah, right. I think so. So, you know, you got to do a little bit of everything and hope you affect a, a, a number of people in every category that you're throwing money at. I guess is the overall cast a wide net. Yeah, you need to do a little bit of everything to to have an impact. So it's it's the combination of all of it. I think that, so. That yeah. does. Do you guys think that the the main root of the problem are the drug cartels that set up shop in the Merrimack Valley from abroad? Uh, Dominican drug cartels, mostly in the Merrimack Valley, but we also see a couple of others, right? Um, when it comes to, and I'm not going to mention the gang, gang names, but when, when it comes to the one or two gangs that are most prevalent in the Merrimack Valley, it seems like you guys could arrest a 1,000 people a day and it's not going to make much of a difference because of these guys. Well, there's always somebody willing, there's always somebody in the pipelines that's going to step up. So we're always looking to take out, take out the head of the organization if we can and as many players as we can along with them. But, you know, it's like any other well-run organization. There's someone willing to step up mm-hmm. and, and take that role over that role. If there's money to be made, someone's willing to take the chance or, you know, to, to do it and then the jail sentence and all those other things so someone's always going to step up just like you know if they if someone you know if, if you get taken out he's going to step up and take your spot you right know what I'm saying so there's always someone's going to step up unfortunately it's uh but you know the drug war and all this stuff is a, is a national problem i don't want to take tom's spot you know, we're just <laughs> we're just pawns in the in this national drug game if you will this is way beyond us yeah you know what i mean you know that it's it's national you have countries that are involved corruption and and all those things um you know that are involved and really you want to you want to make an impact it's over there where it's being you know where it's being grown and and transported and things like that if they don't then we're hot pressed to stop it here. We could just put a bandaid on. Things. It seems like the courts aren't helping for all the whatever well intentions that they might have. Um, there's a homeless guy in Lawrence. I won't mention his name. You know who he is. Um, was out of prison, I think, three days before you guys arrested him on murder last week or two weeks ago, uh, when that woman was that homeless woman was killed. And we see a bunch of people that are homeless that have gone to prison. We haven't seen them in ten years. And then all of a sudden they're out. And within days they're doing it again. Like they're out there committing some kind of crimes. It seems like if the courts really were taking this seriously, you guys wouldn't be seeing that on the streets. It's difficult because they're overwhelmed, of course, right? So they're trying, they're making value judgments all the time in terms of who they should prosecute, who they shouldn't, um, what they can afford to, what they can afford to prosecute, where are we going to house these people? I will say that you know the sheriff is, I think, make, making huge inroads in terms of um, introducing education and vocational opportunities for um, right. for inmates and, and giving them some sort of path to transition when they get out. Right. You know, they have a skill now; they get out of get out of jail and hopefully get a job, ha- have some sort of stability in their life, hopefully housing and that sort of thing. And you hope that you know whatever his he maybe he has them whatever his percentages of of people that have gone into those programs I wonder what the win percentage is that never you know you know recidivism rates you know and things like that you have to wonder his programs that he's enacted how many stay clean and that's what you want you want to hopefully break the cycle um, and to get back to the courts I think there's a big push now to go after and and prosecute uh, harshly dealers and people that are putting these people in the, and making money off these people's you know. Um, issues and addictions and, and, and not so much punish the, you know, the people with possession and people with addiction problems, but try to get them treatment. Mm-hmm. And again, I hope that, so for me, it would be, let's not throw them in jail. Let's throw them in a mandatory mm-hmm. 30, 60, 90 day. And I'm not an expert on how long you need, but 
into a, a treatment program instead of a jail sentence. You know what I mean? Let's get him into something that's going to break, you know, break the cycle. So, you know, Chief Solomon said that the last time he was here when he was chief, yep. he said, if we had the ability to mandatorily commit people, then we wouldn't have half the problems that we have because they can sign themselves out whenever they want. Right. So we put them in. Exactly. Two days later, they sign themselves out, that's and we're arresting them again. Yeah, that's the point. Two, three days is not going to break anything other than make you, you know, want it, you know, that much more. At that point, two or three days, you're you're really, you know, wanting to to go out and get some more. So, I agree. I think you need to, you know, let's instead of putting them in jail for six months, let's put them in some mandatory facility where they're getting treatment for 90 days if that's what you know, the how, experts do, how do we do that do we have to get our state reps together and make get them committed to uh because if you're going to put them in a facility if their facilities to put them in right which is going to also cost money yep. so is it that we get our state reps is it that we pressure the governor like if the average person out there who's got a family member and they want to help in this situation somehow mm-hmm. And they, who do they call? Who do, who do they talk to about getting? Because ever since Joe said it on the show a couple of years ago about mandatory commitments, it just made so much sense. And yet, it doesn't seem like the political will is there. So well, we got to, it's, it's all about money again. You know what I mean? And that, that's what we experienced, what, 25 years ago with um, mental health, right? I mean, there, there's a population that really needs to remain committed and, and hospitalized because, you know, they're in harm's way when they're on their own on the street. And, there's nowhere to put them. Yeah, they closed you know, down all the facilities. Yeah, all the, all the facilities are closed, and it's kind of the same issue we're dealing with now. I think everybody in, in Utopia, we would love to have plenty of beds and plenty of treatment centers, and, and and be able to you know provide the resources that are needed for everybody that needs it. But it, it, I, I think it's a money situation. I think we don't have that ability locally, you know, to have that direct effect in this in this particular strategy because we don't have the kind of money, we don't have a facility that we can mandate people to go to. So again, it's a it's a national, if not state if not a national type program where everybody needs to get on board that these certain things need to happen to try to have a more of an effect instead of you know the way you're going to drive up the way you're going to dry up the drug market is that nobody wants it anymore Mm -hmm. people stop drinking starbucks for whatever reason they're going to dry up right so if people stop doing heroin they're going to dry up they're going to go on to something else or, or, or whatever but so that's really where you're going to make your your greatest gains are not in law enforcement, in my opinion, unless you go there and you know start you know burning down fields and all that. And I don't again that gets back to the whole you know countries and and all that corruption and mm-hmm. things that go on. So that you don't see that happening because for me, why wouldn't that happen if that's where it is? Right. You know what I mean. So yeah, we should be sending that when we were in Afghanistan for how many years we should have we should have we should have. <clears throat> Spread chemicals on all those poppy fields. Just got rid of all of them. I so, mean, that would that would have helped a lot. Well, again, like so, the you know, if we're not doing that, then we need to look at the other way, which is dry up whoever wants it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you can have as much as you want, but if nobody wants it, then then you're out of luck. That's great because my next that goes right into my next topic, which is fentanyl, carfentanil, and the things that the heroin and other um, mm-hmm. substances are being cut with that make it more addictive, so that they can't get away from it. They exactly. can't stop using it. They can't, um, as a user, dry up the, the money supply of the people that are actually producing it. What's more sinister than that? So you're actually now having cocaine and marijuana even, you know, laced with fentanyl. Why? Because cocaine, you know, they say is not uh, as addicting as, you know, heroin and things like that. So they want to try to create more addicts. Right. So people that are smoking marijuana, we've heard, we've seen cases of that. People ODing for that and also cocaine being mixed with it. And we've had some tragic cases of people dying and we come to find out they thought they were doing cocaine, but in turn, they did fentanyl, did too much and, you know, they're not used to it and, and, and died. So right. yeah, it's a lot more sinister than, yeah. than that. They're trying to create more addicts every day. And it's really scary when you, when you think about it. I mean, 
marijuana, unfortunately, is pretty pervasive, even in in young in young populations. And in, if it's being in, if it's being purchased on the street and it's being you know cut with that agent, you know, you can see that that could be a real transitional drug problem. The pills, I mean, Adderall, I mean, oxys. Everything's being, you know, mixed. And again, they're trying to get more addicts out there. And they'll, they don't care if someone dies as a result. They're just hoping that they can hook them. And now they have a, you know, now they have a new addict. In fact, the feds had, uh, when they did that big raid, uh, maybe four or five years ago in Lawrence, when the feds came in and cleaned out a whole bunch of gang members, they actually had um, audio tapes of surveillance that they had done on the guys that were pushing it, the guys that were heads, that were the heads of the gangs. And they were laughing about how many people were dropping dead each week. Wow. They were, I mean, when I, when I added that into the story, I had to go back and I had to reread it three times to make sure because it didn't seem right. And, and the U.S. Attorney's Office released it and said, no, this, this is right. I mean, these guys were on the phone laughing about how many people were just dropping dead every day from, from the fentanyl and carfentanil. And yet, the fentanyl and carfentanil are, are more pervasive, and yet your numbers are still kind of going down. Is it is it that people are getting more used to it? Are people getting people's immune systems getting more used to the to the fentanyl, carfentanil, so fewer people are dying from it? Or I think there's just such a push on both sides. There's the push on the dealer side to make it more addicting, and there's a real push on 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 the law enforcement side and you know, other stakeholders are on that side to treatment, Narcan, uh, you name it. Mm-hmm. You, we're, we're doing everything we can to to reach that at risk population. So it's just it's just a collision of those two two uh, ideologies. And I think we'd be. You know, I think we'd, you know, not be honest if we didn't say a lot of it is, you want to swear, but it's a lot of it's luck. You know what I mean? Um, you know, that the, the very fine line between a little bit of fentanyl and maybe a little bit more would have killed that person in, 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 a, in a different instance or would have killed you but not me, you know, or Narcan got in the way, um, you know, things like that. I think having a lot more Narcan available is really in terms of here. I don't know. Again, I think that's, you know, how much is how, how much of that is really being distributed in other parts of the country that are driving those numbers up ours down not can is certainly readily available here funding and, and those things maybe it's not out there maybe they're not uh, hitting people as much as they are maybe people themselves don't have not available like we have here and that could be driving their numbers up in ours you know, either staying steady or lower so that'd be something that you know to take a look at but f- certainly here we're fortunate that it's stayed steady sad to say that we still have the numbers, but mm-hmm. it's not gone, you know, five times as much or anything, or thirty percent like some of the, the national average. The other huge factor we have on our side, of course, is we have two wonderful hospitals right here, and they just they're they're amazing. I can't tell you how many times we've been involved in all kinds of uh, situations over the years where we've like this person's not going to make it, and and they save them all the time. Whether mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't have to be OD related. It's just like they're just really great at what they do, and they're just right there. They're local, so we're able to get you know get people. Bundled up. So if someone goes to Holy Family and, and they've OD'd, right? Someone calls and someone drops them off, or someone calls an ambulance. You guys get notified right away. Yes. How does so? And they so they'll call you, and then you guys will dispatch somebody to the hospital, and you'll work with them straight through. Yeah, we we have um, a memorandum of understanding that sort of thing, where they'll notify us through our CARES program. Our CARES program will, will if they're if they're working at that moment, they'll go right there. Um, in some cases, we'll call them in, depending on what the circumstances are, and in other times, it'll be a follow-up the next day. And does that come out of your budget, or is that something that's separate? No, it's it's a budgeted line item in, 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 in our budget. In we place. pay for it. So if the city councils and the mayors of the different communities wanted more of that, they would have to increase your budget, increase that line item in your budget. Sure, sure. 
Yeah, and it's the same thing. Like Dega was telling you, in the mental health aspect of it, they want. You know, the, the national trend is that they want police to, you know, remove themselves from mental health situations for the shootings. And we know that 25% of all police shootings involve some sort of mental health mm-hmm. issue. Uh, so they want to remove us from there. They want to put more experts in there and or, or mental health type people. Um, we'll see how that works out. But that requires funding. So to that point, we, you know, applied for funding. We're now going to do that. And we're going to try to put a bunch of advocates or mental health clinicians out there trying to talk to people and then follow up with them, just like we do with opioids and domestic violence. We have the same strategy where we try to not just go to a call if it's domestic related. We try to follow up with them, try to get them services, get them out of the home, whatever it takes. You know, we don't just end it with the call. We're doing the same strategy for opioids and and mental health, but that requires money. We're fortunate enough where we got, you know, two significant grants and we're going to work with a bunch of city stakeholders to, to unveil that in 22. But, you know, any sort of program, takes money it takes commitment from all the players involved the politicians the city councilors everybody but it takes money you know right. real commitment to do it i look at methadone mile in, in boston i've got a friend that's been down there a couple of times in the last few weeks sent me some videos i just can't believe this is the united states of america but then i look at the homeless addicts in lawrence i look at um the different encampments that they have they're all out of the way they're not in your face they're not on the streets they're not on broadway the way they are in boston mm-hmm. And I wonder why that is that in law, La- is it in Boston, they just tolerate it. And if it happened in Lawrence or Methuen, you guys would just clean it right out and, and send them on their way. Like, why is it that when you drive through Boston and you go through Methadone Mile, it looks like you're literally in Mogadishu and yet you come through Lawrence and Lawrence has, you know, Lawrence, Methuen both have homeless encampments, but they, but they're out of the way. Like they, they're hiding. They're not yeah. like on Broadway, on Essex street, on Hampshire street. Well, I, I think you take some your guidance first and foremost for for the people you work for, the taxpayers. The taxpayers will tolerate something, and they might not tolerate nothing. You, you get a lot of guidance and um, from your elected leaders. You know what is what is what is something? What's a bridge too far? For me, it's when when it affects public health. I mm-hmm. mean, you can't have that on your on your sidewalks. It's you know there there are bathrooms that need to be used, and there's all kinds of kinds of issues that related to that 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 could affect your population in a negative way. So, you know, I, I look at this problem and, it, you know, the national cry over the last couple of years has been, uh, we need to reimagine policing, right? Yeah. When it comes to this, when it comes to, I can I can assure you every police officer is eager to reimagine policing as it relates to the issue of homelessness, um, drug addiction, and mental health. We, we could use the help, we, we'll welcome it, and we're, we're willing to partner with or, or, um, or, or I don't want to use the push, push off, but find another way to deal with it because, you know, arresting people is not the way to deal with it. Right. I, I got to think that, I don't know how methadone miles started, but it probably started small and grew from there and it was just left to, you know, to get bigger or whatever. And again, it's, you know, to the chief's point, it's probably, you know, the powers that be just decided to leave it as such. And it grew to that point. You look at Los Angeles, mm-hmm. uh, there's some places that it's, it makes methadone mile look like you know Disney World. Right. So um, yeah, I think it's about what what the residents want, what they want to tolerate, and then you know interaction by us to you know to get them services and try to you know move them to a a, a much safer place for both themselves and for the for the residents. As an average person, and I'm not even a cop, but as an average person, it's infuriating to hear the answers that I'm getting. Uh, and and I, I agree with you. I think they're right that if the people in, in charge of Boston wanted to do something about methadone mile, they could do it. It's, it's, the, it's the will, right? They just don't want to do it. San Francisco, Los Angeles, Atlanta, a whole bunch of other places that have these long stretches where it's just, 
it's just chaos. It's like, a, it's like another country. There's no law. There's no anything. People are camping and crapping out in the streets, having sex out in the streets, needles everywhere. Um, it, it's infuriating as, a, as just a regular citizen that our leaders have not made that a priority, that they don't want to just fix it. And you guys are the proof that it hasn't happened here because if it starts to happen here, you guys would address it because your bosses would tell you to address it. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that the, the big mistake that was made in cities like San Francisco and, and other places is this uh, this idea that we're doing the right thing by the by this population by letting them you know live in squalor mm-hmm. in, in the way that they do. You're not helping people, in, in, in my opinion. You're, you're just you're helping make their situation worse. Right. So we, we try to intervene and we try to get them to a better place. We're not turning our back on them, but we're saying this cannot continue. Right. It's 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 harmful for it's a harmful way for you to live your life and and your it and it affects the um the, the the people in your community as well. I've got some national numbers here, uh, the state numbers and national numbers that I pulled up right before the show. Uh, nationally, more than ninety three thousand people died of drug overdoses in the United States last year. That's a record number that reflects a rise of thirty percent since twenty nineteen. In Massachusetts, there were two thousand one hundred and four confirmed and estimated opioid related overdose deaths. In 2020, an estimated 102 more than the prior year, slightly above the previous peak of uh, 2,102 in 2016. It seems as though if other communities were in, in employing the strategies that Lawrence Methuen and North Andover, I can't leave out Chuck Gray, who couldn't join us today um, uh, because he's not feeling well. Uh, it seems as though if other communities were employing the strategies that you guys were using, that nationally the problem would be much less worse. It would at least be a little bit better. Are you contacted from other communities, uh, Lowell, Worcester, Boston? Do, do, do their chiefs, do their politicians call you guys and say, hey, we're looking at the numbers. You guys seem to be doing it right. How do we do that? I, th- I think it's pretty standard when, when in, in all aspects of law enforcement. When you see somebody doing it right, I mean, it's just like that in the NFL, right? When somebody... Uh, has has an offense that's working, you you want to mirror it. You you want to just you know call that person, learn what you can about it, and, and do it in your community. So sure, I, I I try to I'll be honest. I try to steal what I can mm-hmm. from what I've learned in Lawrence. They, they, they do a lot of things well. Like, of course, the chief just spoke about his the two wonderful grants that he landed. I, I I've now looked at that and said, hey, this is something we need to go after. Mm-hmm. You know, Methuen can obviously benefit from from grant funding in that regard as well. So. Yeah, it, it, we do get calls. I mean, as I said, I, I'm really proud of our CARES program and, and our and our staff that does that. So, you know, people look at that and, and say, how can we do it in our, our agency? There is a lot of back and forth all the time, you know, with the chiefs I can see in the Commonwealth. A lot of them are doing great work in some, you know, um, you know, stuff that we're not even doing here uh, that we try to, you know, steal from or mirror and get suggestions on, but um, it goes, you know, back to your point, it's about, you know, beyond the, the police department wanting to do it, it's got to be the citizens want it, city council wants it, the mayor wants it, you take your orders at some point from someone higher than you, um, and you try to implement it. So it goes beyond just what we, we try to be innovative and come up with things, and we, you know, try to pick things that we, we feel like are working across the country and in Massachusetts, and I think that, you know, if it works for us, we'll try them, but at the end of the day, you need the green light from above. You know, and sometimes it's money too. Do you guys work with the New Hampshire law enforcement? Because it seems as though everybody agrees that part of the problem is people from New Hampshire coming down because it's cheaper in the Merrimack Valley than going back over the border. It would seem like a, an interstate um, kind of task force with you guys and say, and not just Salem, New Hampshire, but but you know maybe New Hampshire State Police, whatever, um, to try and, and 
stop this at the root cause, to try and go after the, the cartels, the gang members that are pushing it into Lawrence or pushing the equipment into Lawrence to make it in Lawrence and Bethune and North Andover. A, a, a lot of the reason why it's cheaper in the Merrimack Valley is because it's where it's being made, right? We always we know from supply and demand that you know the closer to where the, something is being produced, mm-hmm. the cheaper it's going to be, right? Yeah. Well, one of, one of the things, of course, we have these task, task forces and some of them you know, transition across the border. Um, what's the cross-border initiative chief is that, that's one CBI, of them yep. so cbi is i've met with the um you know the, the the leaders of that organization in the last couple of months and we're looking at putting an officer on that as part of a part of a task force but we have two other task force force officers that are part of fbi dea type of operations and they, they are involved with um, um other border related issues and jurisdictional related issues so we are coordinating in that regard all the time I mean, everything from fireworks all the way up to, you know, to narcotics. We're working with both our state police, New Hampshire state police, and then obviously DEA, FBI, HSI, all of them. We have officers assigned to each of those, each of those task forces so that we're able to, you know, hit the problem at, at different levels and obviously do larger cases and things like that. We want to coordinate those larger cases to have a bigger impact. I mean, at the end of the day, you'd love to be able to drive out the route, you know, the, the dealing, if you will, that's happening in Lawrence, but it's going to take more than just local law enforcement that's that's going to 70,000 calls for service, right? right? You need help. So, you know, strength in numbers. So we definitely work with all those groups to try to multiply our, our resources that way. And it's, it's worked. We've done some huge cases uh, with them. We continue to do uh, more in, with them, but certainly we'd be naive if we just stopped at the Lawrence border or even the Massachusetts border because we know they're coming here, we're going there, and, and vice versa. And I'll say that over the last couple of years, the trend has been the dealers are going up there to do their work because there's so much heat here in Lawrence, right. you know. So they're going to the different communities now and setting up shop, and not only just to deal, but also to live as well mm-hmm. because they know it's so hot here. You know? I, I always get a lot of pushback whenever I do a story about the. DEA or FBI comes into the Lawrence area. They arrest 15 people for whatever. They do a big sweep. And then I get a lot of people saying, you're making Lawrence look bad. I think that makes Lawrence look good because you're projecting out to the criminals that, hey, you know, the heat is on. Mm-hmm. And maybe they'll, even just for a temporary, even even if it's just temporary, they're going to Haverhill or they're going to Salem or Wyndham or Pelham yeah. uh, for a little while because the heat is on. Well, think, think about that. You live in that neighborhood, right? I just gave the example of my, my, my parents' neighborhood, right? So they, if there's a problem house in that neighborhood, all the neighbors know it. Mm-hmm. They, all, they all know there's an issue there. They wish, they, they wish for it to go away. So that day when, you know, when the police show up, whether it's local, federal, or state working together, and, you know, you see the, the, the three letters on, on, the, on the back of the uh, jackets, whatever, everyone's happy to see that, that, right. that, that that's being addressed. Trust me. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, anybody that's willing to come here and help, it's not costing us any money. Think about that. And again, we're talking about limited resources. We have 165 police officers here. We could have really over 200. So, you know, we're limited, limited in that capacity, you know, based on your revenue. So you have to think of other ways to multiply your, your, your manpower. And that's a perfect example of how we can deal with the issue. So anyone and everyone is welcome here to come here and, and, and help us. I've always been curious since this Black Lives Matter uh, movement started a few years ago, why it never took hold in the Merrimack Valley? Why the anti-police, defund the police, that all that craziness that is it's just ideological. People have no practical understanding of what that's going to actually mean to those of us who live in these communities. Why it never took hold, and especially like Lawrence, you would think with all the, the drugs, the high, uh, the high uh, uh, pol- number of police calls and the violence, which also spills over into Methuen, 
you would think that it would have taken hold here, that the criminals would have gotten together the way they did in Los Angeles and other places and, and tried to push this, and yet epic failure on their part. Like, you guys had a Black Lives Matter, one, one in the Merrimack Valley in yep. Lawrence, and it was a success. Only one guy got arrested. Well, I think Matt can speak to this because he was involved in... Um, Are you the guy that tackled uh, uh, no. <laughs> Joe on, on Lowell Street? Was that you? It wasn't me who tackled him, but uh, I, I was the one who said tackle him. Oh. No, I, was, I said arrest him, I should say. Yeah. So um, we, we um, and he, he can speak to it because we were all there, you know, and, and Mac had a big pot in setting up the, you know, the command um, of, the, of the event and, and things like that. But I'd like to think that although we have, we're an inner city, we have a lot of people, we have, we have inner city issues, we always will. But I think the, the core of the community really respects what we're trying to do. And the core of the community really wants to live you know, well, peacefully. They want to run their businesses and things like that. So much to the point that we were told on social media, there was a lot of, you're not coming here and doing that, you know, breaking windows mm-hmm. and things like that just to do it. There was a lot of that. You're not coming here to do that. And it was going to be one of those, you know, this side meets that side if that was going to happen. So I'd like to think that although we have issues, we have a strong community, a strong community policing presence. We work with them on everything. We show up everything. And I think that's why we want to do that. So when times are tough, you can rely on your relationships. You know, these guys aren't that bad. They have a hard job. They're, they're trying to work with us. They come to the events. They, they, um, you know, they're, they're working with our, our business. They're trying to help us. Um, listen, they get a arrest, they get to arrest. That's, you know, on someone else's issue, not, you know, not theirs. So I think building those relationships for when, you know, the your crap hits the, you know, hits the sand, so to speak, really helps in the, in those cases. Is it, the, I don't want to interrupt, but is it, one of the things that I've noticed it's different from Lawrence, and maybe this is one of the reasons, is that you have these neighborhood groups mm-hmm. in each neighborhood in Lawrence, and they are the stakeholders in the community. These are the people who who don't want Black Lives Matter ruining their neighborhoods, that don't want to defund the police, that actually want more police. I, I go to neighborhood groups, and they're crying for more police presence. I wouldn't say that they were not non-supportive of the, um, of the social issue and things like that, or, or even of Black Lives Matter. I think a lot of people were. A lot of people came out. We went to the rallies and things like that. I think they just were not going to put up with all the violence. Of the, the violence and the breaking of things they saw like we did, no reason to do that, to get your point across. And we were right from the beginning, and, and Mac knows this, right from the beginning, we were all about come here as many times as you like, mm-hmm. peacefully, and say what you want to say. You should have your right um, you know, to, for freedom of speech and all of that and get your point across. Not a problem, whether it's you want to talk about locally or nationally, you know, the, the policing scene, if you will. But don't use it as an excuse to come here and trash the place. You know what I mean? I think that's what the message of the, of the people in the, uh, behind the scenes were doing as well. And that's another thing that speaks to political will because I, I, we had top-down support that said, what the chief just said is, hey, freedom of assembly, freedom of speech, have at it. We'll stay as long as you, as you like. But when it comes to um, property crime, looting, vandalism, we will arrest you. And that was that. That was the marching orders that day. Is if 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 that we start seeing that sort of thing, it's going to result in arrests because we're not going we're not going to accept it because um, you know we have business owners up and down Common Street, Essex Street, and all those areas, and of course all all the way up Route 28 into Methuen. And um, you know we we were, the, the operations plan was such that we we're going to let everybody let protesters say whatever they like and and, and speak their piece, but um, but also uh, maintain a level of decorum. We have a, a question from a viewer. Ed Quinn wants to know, what do the Chiefs think about the safe shoot-up centers for addicts? Safe shoot-up centers. So I guess that would be where somebody can go and they can you know, legally just shoot up if they want to. 
Seems like a dumb idea to me, but I'm not the police chief. I'm not. In, I'm not in favor. I just think it's another way of just uh, you know making it sort of easy or you know bringing more of the problem here. So just like we talked about bringing more and more services here, they will come. I think then now you're gonna you're gonna get your methadone mile type situation setting up here. I think people are gonna be coming to a to a you know a neighborhood near you to do that sort of thing. I just don't. I don't subscribe to making it easier uh, for people to continue that. I subscribe to let's get you treatment. Let's break that cycle. I'd rather spend our money on getting you treatment, getting you recovery, breaking the cycle, than to try to just continue to allow you to do it easier. And, and that way also send a message to our children and things like that, that this is not a big deal, that now you can try it. Now we're just going to continue adding more addicts to the, to the issue. I would imagine in Methuen, you would have people storming City Hall with pitchforks <laughs> if you guys tried to set up a shooting center in Methuen. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we saw how the... Um the marijuana dispensary, I think it was 70, 30% yeah. went down. Um, but with respect to the question you asked, I think it's a, it's, it's a bridge way too far. I think you're really kind of normalizing that behavior for your population. And what Chief said, young people are watching. And um, that's really something that I don't think we should really support. Um, I'd like to wrap up unless there's some other stuff that you guys want to chat about or talk about. Um, I think this has been very instructive for Anybody who's got a family member that's going through it, anybody who themselves is going through it, um, maybe a loved one uh, that's dealing with this, um, and whether it's homelessness or it's the addiction or it's the, the, the possibility of getting treatment, I think this has been really helpful for the community. I, I, I mean, I like that we do this every year on our anniversary because a lot of the stuff we talk about is politics and it's fun and it's people's opinions, but this is hard numbers, this is facts, and these are lives. And if we can educate people and we can let them know how they can get the help, who they can reach out to, um, I think we've, we've done a good job. If someone's watching in Lawrence, Methuen, North Andover, wherever, and they're looking for help for themselves or they're looking for help for their kids, um, a lot of people don't realize that it doesn't start with heroin. It starts with uh, your kid raiding your medicine cabinet. And if you've got Oxy from a, or if you've got Vicodin from a previous uh, – uh, surgery that you've had that's just sitting there and they're going to start using that and then they're going to graduate to the heroin. Who do people call? Who do people, how do, uh, how do they reach out if they have an issue in either of your communities? We'll put those numbers up, uh, afterwards when, when, like when the show's over, I'll, I'll populate it into the, into the comment timeline. Well, I mean, they could just start by calling them at doing police department, just a yeah, exactly. our, our entry level number. Of course, we'll make the referral directly to our cares program there, or they can go through our, our Facebook, um, page uh well, cares has their own so it'd be facebook.com slash methuen cares c-a-r-e-s capital um and and that's one way to see, see what we do on our social media page right. we'll, we'll reach out back to you but just simply calling our, our, our general office number uh 978-701-8195 or the cares office 978-983-8610 8610 Give me the first number again. It's 978-701-8195. Okay. All right. Well, for us, it's kind of the same thing. Just reach out to us um, over the phone call dispatch. We also have Lieutenant Dan Fleming. is kind of our, our guy that runs our program and runs the follow-ups, uh, him and a civilian. So reach out to Dan Fleming at the police department. And he'll Never met the guy. Get you what you need. <laughs> <laughs> Good kid. Do you have a, is there a special number that they can that they can reach? The, the, or do they have to call 911 and then get bounced? No, the not, not, just call the regular business, 978-794-5900. Get someone in dispatch, and they'll transfer you to, to Dan's number. Or just They can ask the questions themselves, and I'm sure they'll put them in the right uh, spot. 
All right. Anything else you guys want to impart on the on the community? I know um, you uh, had a great speech at your uh, at your swearing in, and um, congratulations on on becoming the new chief. It was kind of a it was kind of a, it was kind of a harrowing process for everybody. Yes, it was right because of what, all the stuff, all the side stuff that was going on. Uh, but we're glad to have you here. We're glad to have you as chief. But we're also glad to have you here on the show just to talk about you know the facts. You know what's what's really going on in our community. I think that's important. I just want to say that I'm I'm grateful to be here. Um, I'm I'm loving every minute of this role. It, it's all that I expected and more. Is your hero really John Romero? I heard you say that during your interview, and I can't scary. I can't not break your chops about I'll it. Be honest, I love the guy. Uh, all right, okay, you? all you, right. You could break my chops because I would have thought you would have said Roy. I, when they asked the question, I said, "Oh, that's an easy answer." He's going to say Roy, and then you and then you said John Romero, and I think I spit my well, coffee out, I, and everybody in the office spit out I, their I, pizza. I've learned quite a bit from Chief Vasco, of course, but we're contemporaries. We kind of came right. up through the process to, uh, together. But. And Romero was a smart guy. I mean. Yeah. I mean, we may not have gotten along, but he was a smart yeah. guy. So I want to I, take that away from him. I really felt like he he kind of turned he he turned that agency around, and he was there. He was a stabilizing force for a long time, and I certainly learned a lot from the man. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah, some good policies as a result. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to let that sit. Yeah. Um, uh, Chief Roy Vast, thank you for being here. I think fourth year in a row um, on this, and please always reach out to us. Uh, you can roll that up uh, uh, the the uh, the rolling, uh, Mr. Jonathan. Um, Always reach out to us if you, if you can. If there's something that we can push out, get the information out to the public. Especially if there's like a raid going on. I know you want to call me while the raid's going on. I know you know we've been through that. But afterwards would be great. Like if there's something going on before we get this sanitized press release from the attorney general's office or somewhere else, it'd be great to have a little bit of detail so we can educate the public. That'd be great. And hopefully you guys will come back again. Hopefully you'll both be chiefs a year from now. And uh, Chuck Gray will be feeling better, and the three of us can come back here and we can educate people about what's going on with the opioids and the homelessness addictions. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me on, Tom. Appreciate right. it. Thank you to uh, Mr. Jonathan, our fine, fine producer, and I want to thank our sponsors, uh, Sullivan Insurance. A free shout out to Mike Sullivan and his brothers for being loyal advertisers with us since 2004. Uh, Clear Path for Veterans New England, Tomo and Happy Crab, right here on Broadway in Salem, New Hampshire. Borelli's Deli, EIS Investigation and Gun Training, Marcin and Sun Construction, AFC Urgent Care, and McLennan Real Estate on Broadway, Methuen. Thank you, Mr. Jonathan. Sounds like Melvin Taylor says we got to go home. So go home already. Wow, right to the post. That was pretty good. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.